morning. My name is Pastor John. I'm the kids pastor here at Grace. If you don't know who I am, stepping in for Jim today. He's on spring break. And uh, today we're going to continue our series on emotions. And uh, today we're going to talk about regret. This is what a person who has regret, I guess, is supposed to look like. But that's not how we're going to end it today. That's not how we're going to look, all right? And hopefully you're not looking like that uh, after I'm done talking. Um, but uh, today we are going to talk about regret. This has been a great series on emotions, hasn't it? Because the things that we've talked about have kind of nailed the things that we think about or worry about or, 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 or struggle with um, because we are emotional creatures. And so today is, is, is exactly like that as well. When I was doing some research uh, the past couple of weeks getting ready for this talk, you know, seeing what was out there in media and publications and stuff to see who's talking about regret, it was like all over the internet. I mean, there's so many people that are talking about how to overcome regret, uh, not just in like Christian publications, but secular publications, because people that live have regret, right? If you live, you have regret, and you got to know how to deal with them and how to live above your regrets, how to live through your regrets, and... and um, I wish I could say that you could live without regret, and I'm not sure that's really possible because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt ourselves. We're going to hurt people along the course of this journey. But how do, we, how do we overcome those regrets, and how do we live to the best that we can? In the course of uh, research that I was doing, I came across this article that gave us the top 10 things that people regret in America. And uh, so this is research that they did, and here's the top 10. You'll probably recognize some of these. Uh, number one on the list was related to some sort of romantic breakup. It may break up of a, a marriage, a family, a relationship, a person that got away, but something, some kind of romantic breakup. Number two at the top of the list of regrets that people have uh, was some sort of family fight. People didn't put something behind them, and they let it fester for years and years and years, and they wish they would have just buried the hatchet as a large regret. Number three was some sort of school-related regret. It's amazing how many adults still regret things that they did back in school. Maybe uh, not working as hard, maybe not pursuing a degree that they wish they would have. Uh, you know, maybe an instance with the bully, um, something they wish they would have said or they would have stood up to. Those kind of things are still things that people regret, even an adult. Uh, number four was career regret. Uh, five, financial regret, decisions that they made financially. Parenting regrets was high on the list. You know, wishing that we would have maybe spent more time with our kids. Poor health choices that we've made, huge regret. Uh, on this list. Friendship regrets, letting friends, you know, kind of uh, friendships sort of disintegrate and not keeping up on them. Uh, Spiritual regrets, you know, walking away from our faith, making choices uh, that would uh, hurt our faith. That's a huge regret of people in America. And the last one on the list, number 10, was community regrets, not being more involved, not making a bigger difference in their neighborhood or their community. Now, when I read those list of 10 things that are the top things that we regret, how many of you would say, I don't relate to any of those? (laughs) Right? The reality is that all of us do. All of us have life of regrets. Like when I read that list, I wasn't like shocked. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that's on the list. And none of you are like that either. You weren't like, what? I don't get it. I don't don't relate to any of that. None of you are like that. Because all of us live life with regrets. We understand it. If we've lived, we've had regrets. I have regrets. And the thing that I love about the Bible when I open it up and I read it is that the Bible doesn't sort of sugarcoat the followers of God. I mean, when you read through the Bible, you read the characters and their stories, you understand that even these people lived with a lot of regret. Right? I mean, who in the Bible doesn't have regret? You know, Abraham, you know, who, who lied twice and said that his wife was really his sister. I'm sure she let him forget that. Right? I mean, you think Moses didn't have regret? And Moses led these people throughout the, throughout the whole desert for 40 years. And at the end of it, did he get to go into the promised land with them? No, because of wrong choices that he had made. God said, you can't see the promised land. He lived life with regret. Or David, 
David, because of his actions at the end of his life, wanted to build a temple for God to dwell in. And God said to him, sorry, you can't. Your son will do it because of your choices. He lived life with regret. Peter, who when Jesus needed him most, denied him and said, I don't even know him. I wasn't there for him when, I, when Jesus needed him most. And so I love that about the scriptures because that recognizes and looks a little bit like my life. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. I know what it's like to live life with regret when I look back at my life or I look at my life today. I regret some things. You know, I regret a lot of fashions that I've tried to follow over the course of my life. I don't know about you, but I regret a lot of fashions. There's a lot of things that we regret, isn't there? I love Thursdays, by the way. Throwback Thursdays on Facebook when, when I was going to stop right now and just say thank you, Grace Community Church, for giving me free entertainment every Thursday. I just love laughing at the pictures that you guys put up. They are the best. And, uh, and when I look back at pictures of myself too, I just wonder like, man, what was I thinking? Like, did I actually think that would look good? You know, that somehow I was going to attract somebody to me wearing that or having that haircut or what was going on there. You know, like I look back at, you know, when I was in high school in the early 90s and stuff, and I think, was, was, like, was like America like under flood the whole time that we thought we needed to tight roll our pants? I mean, it was just a water everywhere. We better do this. You know, sometimes you think, what was I thinking? But then I think, man, what was our generation thinking? Like, what were we doing? It was, it was pretty tough times back then, apparently. But you know what? A lot of our regrets don't just have to do with our fashion choices, at least mine. My biggest regrets cut a lot deeper than that. And so do yours as well, I bet. And that's what we're talking about this today. How do we live with the regrets that we have in our lives? How do we live to overcome those and so I even did some research this week to kind of see what people uh, here in, at Grace would think about uh, regret in their lives. And so I put this out a couple of different ways on Facebook, my page, Grace's page, and some other pages to, to see. And I asked this question, do you regret more mistakes that you've made in your past, things that you did that you think were wrong, or do you regret more things that you haven't done in your life that you wish you would have? Isn't that an interesting question? What do you regret more? Things that you did that you know were wrong or things that you thought were right but you didn't do? And here's the results that I got. I got this slide uh, that would show here on a graphic. 56% of the people that answered the question regret more the things they wish they would have done but didn't do. Isn't that interesting? There's still a lot of people, though, 44%, that regret things that uh, they did do that they wish they wouldn't have. And, and, and so it's really interesting to look back at our lives and our mistakes. But here's the good news that I have for you this morning. We're not going to spend all morning talking about the things that we've done wrong in our lives. Isn't that good news? We're not going to think here about regrets all morning long because, uh, because that's not going to help us. Here's the thing. We already know our regrets. If I were to ask you and you were to ask me what are the greatest regrets in my life, I could list them. I know what they are. And so I don't need to spend a morning sort of reliving those and thinking, you know, worse about myself for those things. And you don't either. And so that's not going to be our focus this morning. That's good news. And here's some more good news for you. You're not dead. Okay, did you know that today? You're not dead. And do you know what that means? That means that you have time to overcome some of those regrets in your life. Look at the person on your right and say, hey, I'm not dead yet. Yeah, yeah. Look at the person on your right, yeah. That's good news. That's good news. You're alive. If you're here today, you're alive. And so you have a chance to make that list of things that you regret shorter. All right? You're not stuck. You're not done. Your life's not over. You can change that list of things that you wish you would have done or things that uh, you want to overcome. 
Raise your hand if you'd like to knock some stuff off of your list of regrets that you have in your life. Raise your hand if you'd like to do that. That's going to be our focus today. We want to talk about how we can overcome those regrets in our lives. With the power of Christ, listen, you can absolutely overcome those things in your life that you regret. God can use you. We don't want you to waste your regret. That's the title of our sermon today. Don't waste your regret. So you have more potential than you realize. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to look today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have ushers that will give you one, whether you're in the link or here in the main. We want you to be able to follow along. You'll want a Bible. Raise your hand. Grab it. That's our gift to you if you don't have one at home. If you do have one just forgot to bring it, then you can use that one and just let it on the seat when you're done today. But we want to take a look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul's writing this letter. Paul, of course, wrote a good portion of the, of the New Testament. And uh, Jim looked at Philippians chapter 4 just a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about joy. And we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 3. Just a couple of verses today, three verses. Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14. Okay. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. When you have it, go ahead and stand up. We're going to read it together. Just three verses. That's pretty short. We can do it together. Kind of hammer these points home as we read. All right, Romans. I'm sorry, Romans. That'd be crazy. Philippians. Philippians 3. It's the wrong book. I should probably read the same thing you're going to read. Romans chapter. I said it again. Philippians chapter 3. We'll have to look at Romans. I don't know if that guy has a word for us there or something. They keep saying it. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Ben, you want to come up here with the microphone? Maybe you should take over, man. I'm having problems today. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Let's read verses 12 to 14 together. Here we go. Ready, read. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You can have a seat. Thank you for reading. Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14. That's where we're going to be today. Like I said a minute ago, you and I have a lot more potential than we realize No matter how big a dreamer you are, your dream is this small compared to what God has for you. So you and I don't realize how God might want to use us in our world to change it. You and I, we have this dream of what maybe God wants to do. Maybe you think you're a big dreamer, but I'm telling you, it's this small compared to what God wants to do in your life. You see yourself as this. You think you'll never be more than that. And I'm telling you that God has much more. You don't understand the potential that he has. A huge part of God's plan being realized in your life is how you handle your regrets, how you handle the mistakes that you've made in your life, or how you handle the mistakes that maybe someone else has kind of given to you. In other words, we don't want to waste those things. We don't want to waste our regret. And what I mean by that is we don't want to not learn the lessons that we're supposed to learn from the regrets that we have. Otherwise, we're wasting those regrets and we'll continue to struggle with them in the future. You see, regret is an emotion that can move you forward. It doesn't have to hold you back. It can drive you towards Jesus. We all raised our hands to say that we all want to knock some things off our list of regrets. And here's three ways that people waste their regrets. I want to give you guys three things that we typically do. And and then I want to give you some answers of of what we should do instead, okay? So here's what the people, here's what people typically do. Here's what people of God can do or want to do. That's what we're going to look at it today. And the first one is this. 
Number one, uh, people waste their regrets by people wallowing in their situation. People like to wallow in their situation. Write that down. That's, that's important to understand. And the reason I'm giving you guys these is because I don't want you to be tempted to, to live this way anymore. When you think about your regrets, I don't want you to wallow in your situation. Let me unpack that for you. When Paul writes this passage here to the Philippians, these are people that he really loved, people that he really cared about. I said that uh, two weeks ago, Jim, he talked about joy and he went to Philippians 4. This was an encouraging letter where Paul was saying, you can do this. You need to have joy. You can, you know, and he was lifting them up. You should, you should be joyous and rejoice with life. And the whole letter here is, is encouraging. And he comes to this part of the story, this part of the text where he's writing this letter. And he says, I don't want you to wallow in your past. And he knew that they had a past. He wasn't saying it wasn't there. And, and he wasn't saying that he didn't have a past because you've got to know who's writing this letter is Paul. Paul was someone who had made a lot of mistakes in his life. Remember, he's the guy who originally attacked the church of Jesus Christ, right? Put its people in prison. You know, even was a part of murdering some of them, like Stephen Stoning. That wasn't a highlight of Paul's life. I got to believe he thought about that at times as now he's giving his life to, to lift up and support and love the church of Jesus Christ and, and to raise up these churches. And he's got to think to himself sometimes, what was I doing? Why did I waste those years? Why did I waste all those deeds? Paul was someone who had learned how to overcome regret. And he gives these words to these Philippians. He gives them to us as well. He didn't wallow in his past. Somehow he had a lot of stuff there, but he didn't wallow in it. He understood regret. He said, look, I know we're not perfect. Look at verse 12, what he says. I haven't already obtained all this. What's he talking about? Or earlier in the passage, he's talking about the righteousness that God gives us. Okay, this, this righteousness that Christ gives us. He says, I've not obtained that yet. I'm not, I'm not that man that I want to be. I'm not that, that guy that's complete, that's, that's, uh, that's finished, that's done growing. I'm not there. I know we're not perfect. I know I've not been made perfect. But listen, I press on. He says, I forget what is behind me and I press on toward the goal. And somehow Paul learned to, to overcome and to not look back. I don't know what it is, but we love to look back and just kind of wallow in our situation. For some of us, we do it because we think that someone needs to suffer for the mistakes that we made. We look back at our lives and we look back at the mistakes that we made and we think someone's got to make that right. Someone's got to suffer. And so we're going to punish ourselves. We're going to suffer because we deserve that. For us, that's why we act and we just sort of wallow in our situation. For others, for others, we wallow, we stay in that regret. We just kind of live there, kind of defeated because, because it, it gives us an excuse for the way that our life is right now, right? We look back and we say, well, well, this is kind of the way I was raised. I can't change, you know, or, or if, I, if, I had, if I had his genes, then, then I would be a lot healthier today. I would make better choices with my health. Or if I had been raised by his mom and dad, then, then I would look a lot different today. Or, or if I had maybe been in her family, then I would have had a better opportunity out of school and, and I would have been something greater today. And so we look back at our situation and we wallow in it because it gives us comfort for why our lives are what they are. And our regrets, listen, our regrets become our excuses. Do you ever find yourself doing that? You ever find yourself sort of making an excuse for yourself because, well, you know, I had this start or I used to do this and this is the best that I'm going to be or, or well, I, I can't really change this about me or, well, I, I can't change the way that I treat my husband. That was the model that I had. How am I supposed to live any differently? 
And we use our past, we use our situation that we're in as a crutch to hold us back from being the person that God wants us to be. And the reason that we do that is because that's a lot easier than changing. It's a lot easier to be lazy. It's a lot easier to not work on things. It's a lot easier just to sort of accept stuff. To be status quo takes no effort at all. But to change, to raise the expectations of what Christ says you can be, that takes work. And so that's not always tempting to us. And we like to just, uh, we like to just wallow in our situation. But this is, the, this is the picture that Paul gives us. Read verse 12 again. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've arrived at my goal. In other words, I'm not there yet. I had a rough start. I didn't start where I should have. But listen what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, here's the difference Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. That's what changes things. Yeah, you're stuck in your situation, but listen, when you come into Christ's family, when Jesus comes into your life, when you make him your savior, it says Christ Jesus takes hold of you. And that is a game changer. That changes the direction of your life. From that moment on, you are a new person. The old person is gone. The new one has come. That's what changed it for Paul, and that's what changes it for you. He has now drastically changed. Christ has your outcome. Not a little bit, okay? Christ doesn't come into our lives and change us just a little bit. We're pretty good, and then he comes in and he makes it a little bit better. No, 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 no. Christ makes us brand new. Christ makes us brand new. We are a new creature. Nothing is going to stand in our way of being who God wants us to be. That old person, that's in, that's in the past. I'm a new person now. God has changed me. And I don't have to, to live down to the expectations that maybe mom or dad gave to me. I don't have to live down to the expectations that, that, that was given to me or that I chose to have for myself a long time ago. Christ changed that when he came into my life. He took hold of me. He grabbed me out of that. He pulled me out of that. And then what's our response? Paul says that we are to grab a hold of him the way that he has grabbed hold of us. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. When Christ grabs onto us, we're supposed to grab onto him and onto his purpose for our lives. When he makes us a new person, he gives us a new direction. He gives us a new sense of why we're alive. And that is to build his kingdom to serve him, to make a difference for the kingdom of Christ, to be a person of change on earth. That is why we live. That's why God doesn't take us to heaven right away because we now have a chance to be different, to change this world, to build the kingdom of Christ. And so we're here to pursue that and we're supposed to grab onto that. Now that word grab on, grab onto Christ for what he is, or grab onto what Christ has grabbed hold of us. We are to grab that. That is not a casual sort of just take it. That's like when, you, when your son or your daughter is about to walk into a street of busy traffic. You don't kind of just walk over gently and kind of guide them back. You grab them. You grab them so they don't get out there and get injured. You protect them. That's the word pictures that you grab what, for what Christ has grabbed hold of you. Another illustration will be this. Most of us have been in a car before. Most of us have been in a car. When you go driving, you, there's, there's different ways that you drive. Thank you to whoever let me borrow their steering wheel this morning. There's a GMC parked out here. Most of us, when we go for drives, drives are different. Sometimes we're driving 
for not for any reason. We're just out for a drive. And maybe, you know, it's been winter. Today's going to be a beautiful day. And we're going to have our, take our family and windows down. And we're just going to drive. And we're just going to look at grass without white stuff on it. That's what we're going to do today. And we don't have anywhere to go. And we don't have any agenda. And so this is how we drive. We're just talking. We're just, you know, like this, right? That's, that's how we're driving. That is, that's, then there's another kind of driving, right? And, and, and this is the way we drive when we're late for work or we're trying to have a, get to an interview because we want to work um, or our wife's water is just broken and we're trying to get to the hospital. That's a different kind of driving, right? Or we're on a long trip and, uh, and uh, it's raining and the wind is kind of blowing our car around. We're not driving like this then, are we? No, we're like this. We're seated up. We got two hands on the wheel and we're tight gripped, right? Our knuckles are white, right? That's how we drive then because we have a different purpose. We have a mission. We got to get there. We got to get there. Listen, that's the picture of how we pursue Christ. It's not this casual drive with the Son of God. It is, I am pursuing Christ with everything that I have. I am aggressively going after it. Man, I want to know him. I want to know everything about him. I want to get into his word. I want to, I want to reach everybody he wants me to reach. I'm going to pursue that purpose for which Christ has taken hold of me with everything that I have. That is the picture of how we're to grab hold of Jesus. That's the picture of how we live our lives. It's not a casual Sunday drive with Jesus. And so we need to grab hold of that for which Christ Jesus has grabbed hold of us. You see, people love to wallow in their situation, but here's what the people of God do. When, the peop- when people like to wallow in their situation, the people of God grab onto Jesus and chase him wherever he leads. It's a picture of chasing Jesus, grabbing onto him and saying, I'm following you wherever you go, man. We're in this together and I'm pursuing you with everything that I have. And listen, that's a big difference in those two lives. That's a big difference. There's no more wallowing. Christ has grabbed a hold of you and now you must grab a hold of him and his purpose for you. Listen, leisure Christians, that word doesn't exist. Leisure Christians went out of style long before leisure suits, all right? That's tweetable. Leisure Christians went out of style long before leisure suits. Listen, I never wore a leisure suit. I, I, I tight rolled my pants, but some of you guys who wore leisure suits, you guys need to repent today. <laughs> you need to repent of wearing leisure suits. You gotta repent of being a leisure Christian. That doesn't exist, okay? There is, no, there is no sort of following Christ. We are to grab hold of him for which he grabbed hold of us. People like to wallow in their situation, but people of God grab onto Jesus and chase him wherever he leads. That's the first way that we don't waste our regret. Here's the second. People love to waste their regret because people don't live in God's forgiveness. Not only do they wallow in their situation and just say, this is the best it's gonna get. I'm just stuck. This is who I am. But they also don't live in God's forgiveness. Maybe you're like me because I do this Sometimes I just can't get over the mistakes in my past. Sometimes I just sit them in front of me. I just think about them and stew on them. And just, I just can't get over the things that I've done, the mistakes that I've made. We hold on to them. We won't let God forgive us. Or maybe also like, maybe you're like me where you just don't give yourself a break. You beat yourself up when you still mess up. You think you should be further along than you are. And you wonder, man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I think that? Why was I... God, what was I doing? And you just beat yourself up. This, this month, this April, is 20 years that I've followed Christ. 
April, two, uh, April 1994 is when I gave my heart to Jesus. And so 20 years, I sometimes think I should be further along than I am. But here's what Paul says to us in chapter uh, 3, verse 13. Take a look at verse 13 now. Brothers and sisters, he loves them. There is family. He loves them. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Listen, Paul says, hey, I'm not there yet. All right. I've not arrived yet. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I've not become that righteous man yet that God has said that I am. I've not yet taken hold of it. And listen, that's okay. That's okay. Turn to the person on your right and say, hey, I've not arrived yet. Hey, turn to the person on your left and say, you've definitely not arrived yet. (laughs) You've definitely not arrived yet. All right? Listen, listen, that's okay too. None of us have arrived yet. The apostle Paul hadn't. I haven't. You haven't either. Listen to these verses that uh, hopefully will bring you comfort. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. Just turn back a couple of books. This is the difference between God and the enemy, or God and us. Okay? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow, and that's what comes from God, Godly sorrow that he brings into our heart brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no what? Leaves no regret. That's God's sorrow. When God convicts us of things that we've done wrong, it is to point us towards his salvation. And there's no regret there. Worldly sorrow, though, look at this. Worldly sorrow brings what? Death. See, there's a difference, and I've said this before, but let me remind you, it's a, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. The enemy is the one who puts guilt on us, who says, you'll never be more than you are. Look at what you've done. Look at what you did. Look at who you are. That's the enemy. It's Jesus who brings conviction that says, hey, you can do more. You can be better. This is who I've called you to be. I want you to rise up to this level. You're, you're saved. You're a different person now. This is who you're supposed to be. That's how Jesus talks to us. He doesn't heap this guilt and this shame on us. No, that was taken care of on the cross. See, and so godly sorrow is a gift from God. It leads us to repent and it leads to salvation and it leaves no regret. Isn't that good news? That's how God views us. That's how God treats us. Take a look at another verse, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Right before 1 Corinthians, so 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians and Romans chapter eight, verse one. Here's another great verse that you want to sort of just know and have in your Bible so you can mark it up, highlight it, underline it, whatever. You're ready to use this verse when you need it. When you need to tell yourself this stuff. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. God does not condemn you for your past. When you are covered by Christ, when he forgives you, when he died on the cross, right? He paid the price for your sin. When you apply that to your life and you are forgiven by him, you no longer are under any condemnation. And if Christ does not condemn you, listen, listen. If Christ does not condemn you, then you have no right to condemn yourself. When we condemn ourselves, we're saying, what Christ did for me on the cross wasn't enough. I somehow still have to pay. I have more work to do. 
I, I somehow need to, to suffer. I need to sort of live with these consequences because what Christ did on the cross, that was not enough. And what I want to tell you today is what Christ did on the cross was absolutely enough. And it covers every single one of us so that there is now no condemnation for us once we are in Christ Jesus. That's good news today. Let that comfort you today. When you are tempted to beat yourself up, to, to think that you can't get past your mistakes, Christ offers to you forgiveness. See, we are in a progressive sanctification right now. We're not totally there yet, like Paul said, but we are on our way and we are positionally Christ Jesus as forgiven, Christ Jesus as righteous, but in life, practically, we're still working towards that. And Paul understood that and he understood that and he taught that to the Philippians. He teaches that to us today. Flip back to Philippians chapter three. Because look at what Paul says in verse 13 again. Let's read it one more time. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm still a work in progress. I I haven't arrived yet, he says. But here's what I do. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Maybe you think, John, you don't understand what I have to forget. It's a lot. Listen, Paul had to forget a lot. And somehow he was able to do that and then tell this church that they had to do it too. They're able to forget what was in their past. Listen, I have a list myself that I've had to learn to forget. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, forgetting doesn't mean that it never happened. When Paul says forget, he wasn't saying that you're never, you're like, I, I never did that. All right, that's not, that's not how it works. We remember those things. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't do what we can to make stuff Right? No, if we're followers of Christ, we try to make amends for the mistakes that we've made. We try to do what we can to make stuff right. But then at some point, once we've done what we can, we accept God's forgiveness. And so what this means, forgetting does not mean obliterating that memory from our past, but here's what it is. It is a conscious refusal to let it absorb our attention and impede our progress. Let me say that again. Forgetting does not mean obliterating that memory from our past, but it means a conscious refusal to let it absorb our attention and impede our progress. In other words, I'm not just going to focus on it. It's not going to rule me anymore. I've done what I can to make it right, but now it's in my past. I can't do anything to change it. All I can do is look forward to the future. All I can do is accept Christ's forgiveness of me, and I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to think about it all the time. I'm not going to let people bring it up around me. It's in the past. It's not who I am anymore. I'm new in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. Forgetting what is behind. And the way that we forget what is behind, maybe you think, I I don't get that. Here's what Paul says. Here's how you forget what's behind. You strain towards what is ahead. The, The way that you forget what's behind you is you strain towards what is ahead. And here's what I mean by that. A person who's trying to overcome their past, or maybe who's trying to lay down some sin in their life, they're trying to get rid of it. The worst thing you can do is to focus on that sin. To say to yourself over and over, I'm not going to get angry today. God, help me not to get angry today. God, I don't want to be angry today. Please, I'm not going to get angry today. What am I doing when I do that over and over? I'm, I'm, I'm putting that word anger in my mind. Or a person who says, I'm not going to lust today. 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 What are they doing? I'm filling my mind, remembering myself that I struggle with lust. That doesn't work. 
Instead, we are to look forward towards Christ, towards his purpose for us. And here's what happens. The more that I focus on Jesus, the more that I say, Jesus, fill me with yourself. Jesus, fill me with peace. Jesus, fill me with, with faithfulness and content. I'm, you are all that I need. And when I realize that he is all I need, when my attention is so focused on him, do you know what happens? I forget my past. I don't become so focused on those things. And I'll say, you know, it's been a whole month and I've not been angry. It's been, it's been like six months and I've not lusted. That's how that works. The more that I focus on my past, I keep bringing it up. I keep it right there next to me. But when I put my attention on Christ, when I fill myself with his word, when I fill myself with songs of worship, when I fill myself with prayer, when I put on those spiritual disciplines in my life, those are the things that become come normal in my life. They come out of me and I forget what's behind me. That's how that works. And so Paul says, forget what is behind you and strain towards what is ahead. And when our whole attention is on Christ, nothing else compares. And we don't want any of those counterfeit things anymore because we're satisfied in Christ. And we'll forget what's in our past. And listen, it's not a casual pursuit of Christ. I know I said that earlier, but let me tell you that again, because Paul says it again. Look what he says. We, we uh, uh, forget what is behind us. And what's the word? We strain. We're straining. We strain towards what is ahead. We strain towards what is ahead. A strain is not a, a casual thing. Straining. Have you ever strained for something? You're trying to lift something? It's taking everything you have to lift that up. You are straining. You're working hard to get that up. The picture comes from these ancient Greek races that Paul was a part of. That was part of the world where he lived. There's these ancient Greek uh, stadiums were built and people would race there. And, and even today, like in Athens, there's, there's this old stadium where you can see the racetrack that was there, the straightaway. It was uh, 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 about 600 of our feet. It was one-eighth of a Roman mile, which comes out to 600 of our feet. So it was a little less than, say, like a 200-meter race. And even there today are these stone blocks at the starter's gate where you can see the grooves where the runner's feet were so they would get kind of the best start to go. And as they would race, you can see all of these uh, 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 raised levels where the spectators would sit and have a seat, a view of this race. This was a big deal. This is how they sort of recreated there. And, and, and as they're coming down the stretch, as they're coming towards that finish line, they didn't sort of just slow up so they wouldn't, you know, because I'm at the end of the race, I'm going to kind of just take it easy at the end. You know, I'm almost done, so let me just kind of pace myself here at the end. You know, they didn't slow down so they kind of have the, you know, kind of their, uh, their cool down in the race. They didn't do that, Right. If you watch the Olympics, you know how racers race. When they run, they come to the front and they are straining with everything they have, reaching forward to be that first one across. That's the picture that Paul is giving. You give it your best. You get the best start you have. And even if you start wrong, you just make it the best you can and you get down that track as fast as you can and you strain towards what is ahead. That's the picture. We're straining and giving everything we have to go after what's ahead of us. Going for the tape, eyes for the prize, flat out for the finish. We take away anything that holds us back. I've never seen a racer race with his warm-ups on. I've never seen a racer race with, uh, with any kind of resistance bands. He may train with those things, but he doesn't race with those things. I've never seen a racer race with that stuff. They take it off. Anything that's going to hold you back, anything that's going to hold you down, you get rid of it so that you can be the best that you can be for Christ. And here's the thing. Our race is eternal. It's not a real race. It's an eternal race. 
And we are giving everything we have. It's not to make some sales quota. It's not giving everything we have to build our business. This is being single-minded, laser-focused, like an athlete on their event. But our event is building the kingdom of God. That's what God gives to us. He sets out this goal that we are to be, pursue him and be a part of what he wants to be a part and love who he wants to love and share who he wants to share with. This is our focus and this is why we live. This is our single focus and the way that an athlete trains for an event is the way that we are to train ourselves and focus on reaching our goal of building the kingdom of God. Listen, people don't live in God's forgiveness, but that's not us. People like to look back. Listen, so does our enemy. The enemy will talk about your loss the Spirit will talk about the lesson learned. That's how you know the difference. The enemy will point to your failures. The Spirit will point out your future. That's the difference. Every regret that we have is a story that God might use. It's a testimony of God's overcoming us. Our stories are God's sometimes greatest tools in winning other people to him. See, people might not live in God's forgiveness, but people of God revel in the new freedom and the single focus that God provides. While people are tempted to not live in God's forgiveness, people of God revel in the new freedom and the single focus that God provides. We're not looking back anymore. I'm not going to wallow in my regret. I'm not going to not forgive myself. God is taking care of those things. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My eyes are on the prize. I'm looking forward to where God wants me to be. That's my direction. And here's the third way then that people waste their regret. Number three, people create more regret. We've gotten to a point in our lives where we're looking and we're not looking back anymore. You know, we're, we're trying to strain ahead and then we just create more regret when we go back to our mistakes. People are tempted to do that. I'm tempted to do that. We, we let our mistakes be this. I was talking to somebody this week in my office who, who had made a mistake in their lives, in their life. And so now they're at a point where they, where they have some things that they have to live with and, and they're there, that's where they're at. And what we talked about is, is the fact that sometimes when these major things happen in our lives or we, where we mess up, you know, or, or some major crisis comes into our life that tests us, that can be uh, either the start of pushing us towards Christ, a turning point in our lives that we look back at five years later, 10 years later, and we say, I'm so glad that that happened because God used that to push me towards him. Or those same scenarios, those same times in our lives can be just the start of a spiral downward away from Christ and towards destruction. But we sort of choose what's going to happen. But the person who's following Christ, we, we don't want to continue to create more regret and just keep going down that path that we're on. We want to instead use what we learned, use that mistake, use that regret that we have to now turn our direction and say, I'm never going back there again. And so we don't want to create more regret. We learn from our mistakes. We learn how to overcome regrets in our lives. And so we don't want to add more regret. So let me ask you a question today. Just to be honest with yourself, think about this question. What is something in your life right now that if it came to light, you would regret it? What's something in your life right now that if it would come to light and somebody would share it here on a Sunday morning or somebody would share it at work, I'm gonna gather everybody together. I just wanna tell you something about our friend here. What would you regret? Listen, that's the kind of stuff you gotta just shut off now. You got you to you tell your AP, you got to tell your accountability partner, you got to get some help. You got to change that. 
You don't want to live life with regrets. You don't want to continue down this path spiraling. So you made some mistakes. Listen, this is your chance to turn around and kind of get right with God and go towards him, not continue down this path away from him. Let me ask you another question. What, what, what in your life right now, what is something in your life that you're not doing, that you're not doing right now, that you'll regret not doing five years from now or 50 years from now? What are the things in your life that you're going to regret when you look back? Where are you sort of letting the urgent dictate how you're doing instead of what's most important? Listen, today, same thing. Start doing it. Make those changes in your lives. Tell your accountability partner. Tell that person that holds you accountable. And you make a plan for you to change those things today. See, Paul, he keeps our focus forward. We're not going to go back. We're not going to create more regrets. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. I move forward. I'm getting towards that goal. I'm going to win that prize that God is, wants to give me in, in heaven, in Christ Jesus. When you're running a race, the most dangerous thing you can do is to look back, is to try to go backwards, is to try to look back at what was behind you. When I was uh, dating Tara, we remember that we met in third grade, and so we were dating, and we started dating in high school. She, she couldn't help herself. And so we were, we were uh, one time throwing football in her, in her yard at her house where she lived. And, you know, we're just out there hanging out, throwing football, talking, whatever. And uh, she decides she's going to throw it as far as she can. And so she throws this ball. And so I start running after to try to catch it. And when you're catching football, you're not looking forward. And so I'm running back trying to catch this football. And all of a sudden I get laid out because I run into this cable box that's like two, and a, two feet off the ground. It caught me right below the knee, right here in my shin. Oh my goodness, did that hurt. Because I'm running as fast as I can and just bam, nail that and just go over top of it. Of course, I don't catch the ball. And, and we had just started dating. So I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Nice spiral. That was great. You know? So you got cable, huh? You know, that's what I'm thinking. That's great. If she hadn't have been there, I'd, I'd have been crying. I'd have been like, Mom, Mom, I need a Band-Aid. You know, but, but, but Tara's there. So I'm like, it's okay. That's you know, it's cool. Listen, running and looking back is always bad. The same thing in life. We never look back. We never go back to who we were, to that old person. We never look back and say, oh, I'm going to go back there for a little bit. That's always the wrong choice. We don't want to create more regrets in our lives. We're always moving forward. But here's another consideration that I want to talk about today as, as we start to wrap up. I want to talk to the veteran, to the seasoned believers that are here at Grace. Paul refused to let his past mistakes hold him back. We talked about that. But Paul also refused to let his past accomplishments and his spiritual milestones hold him back either. And here's what I mean by that. Paul didn't just rest on the things he once did for God. Paul didn't look back and say, look at all these things that I've done and I think I'm about done. Um, see, Paul tells us to press on. Pressing on is an action step. Jesus did the same kind of thing. When he told his disciples to come to him, he said, follow me. Following, pressing, those are action words. Those are movement words. And, and sometimes 
we're tempted to, to sit down. But if we're going to follow Jesus, listen, he is moving today. And I know maybe he moved five years in your life ago. Maybe he moved 20 years ago in your life and you saw awesome stuff happen in your life. Listen, Christ is still moving today. If you're still living back in 20 years, you're not with him anymore. Because Christ is moving today, you got to move with him. He's moving. And, and I get it. You know, maybe you've done a lot. Maybe you used to be the center of a ministry you started. Or you were the pillar in our church here at Grace. Or you were the pillar in some other church. You got most of your life in order a long time ago. You know, you got rid of a lot of sin in your life. And you're sort of doing pretty good now. You're a decent person. I get that. I understand. But listen, it's not time for you to sit down. It's not time for you to sit down. I mentioned uh, that this month marks 20 years that I've been following Christ. And for some reason, sort of the older we get in Christ, we tend to think that all of our heavy lifting is done. We think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good now. You know, I'm probably just going to tweak some things a little bit. I'm just tweaking stuff now. Listen, I, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we just need to tweak stuff, where I'm pretty good, where I know kind of most of the things that I'm going to learn about God, I already know that. I mean, God, certainly what we know about him, we haven't even scratched the surface. How do I, you want to say that you know most of what you know about God? You pretty much have him figured out, really? Or, or, or you're a pretty good person and you only have a little bit of tweaking to do? Listen, there, there's no tweaking. There, we need to pursue Christ. We are, when, when we're new Christians, we're really aggressive in our pursuit of godliness. I remember. We're really, we're really aggressive in following Christ. But now we're just tempted to coast, to go for that leisurely drive. We've not yet begun to plumb the depths of the riches and the love of Christ. We've not yet begun to really understand his plan for us and for our world or for the greatness of his will for our lives. You see, a follower never arrives. A follower is always following. They're always, and when the person that we're following is always moving, which we pray for God to do, to move, that means we're going to be moving too. Followers never arrive. They never get there. We continue to follow Christ. That's why he called us followers. We press on to more. That doesn't mean just staying busy. I'm not just saying you need to be busy, but I'm saying that your intensity is white hot. Your passion stays hot. And the activity that you are doing is kingdom focused. It's kingdom focused. You're not just pursuing the American dream. You're not just starting to put it on cruise and kind of coast. But your intensity for the things of God is as passionate and as white hot as it's ever been. You desire holiness in your life. You are pursuing him passionately with everything that you have. Listen, the number one complaint in any long-term relationship or marriage is something like this. Man, what happened to that person, to that guy that used to just pursue me with everything that he had? What happened to that person that, that just would talk to me on the phone for hours and hours and, and want to get to know me and, and want to be around me and would drive forever just to spend a little bit of time with me and then drive back to wherever they were? What happened to that guy? When I went, we, we went on a honeymoon together and I think he stayed there. Or, or husbands say the same thing. Husbands say, man, what happened to, to, that, to, that, to that woman that used to just be so supportive of everything that I was doing and would be right there with me and pursuing, you know, my interests and my passions and my hobbies? And what, I mean, she couldn't keep her hands off me. And, and she's not like that anymore. You know, what, what happened to that? 
Listen, we understand in relationships, if we're going to keep things hot, if we're going to keep things strong, it's going to take work, right? It's going to take work. Could it be the same is true in our relationship with Christ? Is it possible that maybe Jesus has thought about you? Man, what happened to those days when you were hungry for my word? What happened to those days when, when you were passionate about holiness and purity and just being all that you could be for me and eradicating sin in your life and taking it seriously? What happened to those days where, where you were passionate about worshiping me all week long? What happened to those days when you would share your faith with everybody you met? See, when we're new Christians, those are the things that we're doing. But then over time, we sort of let those things slip away. Let me ask you a question, seasoned Christian. Are you hungry for God? Are you straining towards what is ahead? Are you pressing on to win the prize for which Christ has called you heavenward? You're not in heaven yet. You're not dead yet. It is not time to sit down. It is not time to take a break. It's not time to cruise. There is no cruise control with the Son of God. If you've lost it, it's time to get it back. There's more for you to do, and there's more for you to be in Christ. Strain towards that goal. Make your whole life about being and building Christ's kingdom because that's the way to live life without regret. Because when I'm pursuing Christ's kingdom as the number one thing in my life, do you know what happens? I become a better husband and I become a better dad and I become a better employee. I become a better employer. When I pursue Christ with everything that I have, all those other things that I'm so worried about seem to just happen in my life. When my life is consumed by Jesus, Everything else falls into place. And I love Paul's reminder that he has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And you know what? That motivates me to want to pursue him because I have heaven to look forward to and you have heaven to look forward to. Aren't you glad on some days that our citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth? Aren't you glad on those days when you're just like, I'm so glad that I'm just passing through this world. I'm so glad that this is temporary. Listen, I, I said I was following Christ for 20 years. Man, that's nothing. Some of you guys have been following Christ for 60 years, 70 years. That's nothing compared to eternity in heaven. You know, I can tell you about the citizenship in heaven, the government in heaven. It never takes a break. It never shuts down. The government in heaven doesn't need our tax money. Everything has been paid. The taxes are all taken care of. And even though we've never paid anything in, we still have a chance to get God offers to us eternal life, a chance to live in this, in this freedom and in, in this wonderful place. And he also offers to us something that are called rewards and gold, or rewards. Paul in this, in this uh, passage calls them prizes. He calls them goals that we're supposed to get after. God calls them crowns. And these are the rewards that come from pursuing Christ. At the end of those races in Paul's day where, where, where people would race in those theaters, in those uh, stadiums, they would then stand up on this podium, those that won, and they would get this, this wreath, right? That would be their crown that they would get. That was their prize that they would win. And when they would wear that through town, it was like they were royalty. They get the front seats at the theater. They, they didn't have to buy any more meals. It was all taken care of. They were that town's champions. And when we get to heaven, we will also have a chance to stand up on this podium and Christ will be giving us these crowns Paul, who wrote this passage here in Philippians, 
as he gets towards the end of his life, he writes this in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to this verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. He says, For what is our hope? What is our joy? Or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? What, is the, what are those crowns? What is our joy? Here's this question. Is it not you? He writes to those people there. Aren't you my crowns? Aren't you my joy? The people that I influenced for Christ, the people that, 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 I, that I shared Christ with, the people that I used my spiritual gifts to, to, to influence towards Jesus, listen, those are the crowns that we will receive. They're people. Our crowns in heaven will be the people that we have influenced for Jesus. That's how to live life without regret. Maybe you've just been in this whole God thing and, and sort of you were just after the fire insurance. You didn't want to go to hell. But listen, when you get to heaven, you're going to be a little disappointed because you're going to stand there by yourself and everyone else is going to have all these people around them that they influence for Christ. They're going to have these crowns to give back to Jesus. And those crowns are represented by the people, the people that you influenced the people that you shared Christ with. It, it may look different for all of us. Our crowns will look different. The people that we've touched will look different. But that's the joy of heaven, are the lives of the people that we touched on earth. That's what heaven is the joy there is going to be about. Maybe it was a small seed that you planted in someone's heart about the gospel. Maybe it was some watering that you did through compassion shown towards someone who was searching. Maybe it was leading someone across the line into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it was comforting someone when they were hurting. Maybe you stood in the gap for someone who had no one else to stand for them. Maybe you poured manliness into someone who needed it. Maybe you mentored a young mom who was feeling overwhelmed with life. Listen, those are the things that we do for Christ that become the crowns later in life. Who are you influencing for God? Who are the people that you are seeking uh, to share Christ with? Who are the people that your, your God, your Jesus, the smell of Jesus that's on you is kind of all over them as well? Who is it? Those are the crowns that we will pursue. Seasoned Christian, that is what we are to pursue. That's what our lives are to be about. Bottom line, we are to pursue Christ and we are to pursue people for Christ. And that is the way we to live life without any regret. When we get to the end of our lives, to that very last breath, we'll be able to say like Paul did. Somehow with all those mistakes that he had made in his life, at the very end, he was able to say what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And that's what I want to say. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. We want to live a life like Paul did. God, we have a past. We have mistakes in our lives, but somehow you want to overcome those things. You want us to, to forget what's behind us and, and strain towards what is ahead. God, you want us to, to, to forget those things that the enemy keeps trying to bring to mind. Lord, that's in our past. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I want to claim that today for the people of our church, for the people of grace, or that maybe need some forgiveness. God, would you remind them, would you speak clearly to them that their past is their past, that you have taken care of it, that you paid for it on the cross, and that was paid in full, and that's not there anymore. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not allow those things to hold us back any longer. Lord God, I want to pray for those of us that have been following you for some time and maybe have just become coasters. We, we were just cruising along, 
And we're, we've lost that passion for you. We're not passionately in the game anymore. We're kind of on the bench. We're just watching everyone else do it. And we're, we're just sitting here. Lord God, would you just throw into us, infuse into us, Lord, a new dose of fire for you. Holy God, would you burn the passion for you white hot in our hearts, that we would want holiness, that we would want to know you more, that we would want to do greater things for you, that we would want to be on the tip of the spear that is taking back the ground the enemy has taken from us. Lord God, we want to be a church, Lord, where you are, where you are leading us and we are in the front of the lines. We are in the front lines of the battle that you are waging today in our community and around the world. Lord, we want to live those kinds of lives that make a difference, those kinds of lives that matter, that will leave a legacy of other people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.